Hello and welcome to another episode of our show. A reminder that we are now on Patreon. So for as low as a dollar a month, you can help support the show and make it the best one possible. Today's guest is Brianna Greer. She is a political sciences and global and international studies student at UMBC. She is a Métis person who has lived in Northern British Columbia her entire life. She hopes to use her experiences and academic research to provide information and insight to the issues facing Northern British Columbia, from water boil advisories to advocacy for Indigenous groups. Um, One thing that she shares with us is a lot of what's going on up there, some of the problems that are not getting so much light in in more southern uh, news stations, such as here in the Lower Mainland. One thing that she brings up in particular is in her community's battle against COVID-19, a lack of resources, funding, and personnel to help in the, the medical pursuits up there. It has truly been an honor and a privilege having her on the show. I hope you enjoy what she has to share, and thank you for listening. Uncut, uncensored, and unfiltered, this is an open mind. You're listening to I'm Probably Wrong About Everything. All right, we have Brianna Greer with us today. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me on this nice Sunday day. Yes, thank you for your time. Um, We spoke recently about some of the issues that are going on uh, in Northern BC and how and my own practice, this, this program that I'm doing, I'm probably wrong about everything, is there is a sense of what am I focusing my attention on and what am I distracting myself from? And I realized that these issues that are happening in the backyard of where I live, I've been neglecting. And so that's why I'm so thankful that you've uh, decided to, you know, I'm so privileged that you've decided to give me this time. So thank you. Thank you. And thank you for giving me a platform to talk about these issues. I find that a lot of times Northern issues is forgotten or not necessarily shown as much in the media as I think it should be. Yes. And why do you think that is? Well, we, we, although we make up 70% of the landmass of Northern BC, uh, of of BC, um, we don't take up much of the population. Most of the population lives in the Lower Mainland, Vancouver Island, the Okanagan. Right. So you, you talked a little bit about the, the water and the infrastructure and how that's a problem up there. And not many people are aware of it. Um, no. So I'm more familiar with what's happening in Northwest BC. So Prince Rupert has had a big problem on their hands for the at least the last few years. Um, We have over 100 years of infrastructure, water infrastructure, that hasn't been updated. So since 2019, we've had numerous water boil advisories um, where you can't drink your water. You have to get uh, bottled water or boil. And that could be hard on low-income families that don't have the money to buy water bottles or um, just the time to have safe water. Right. So this is an issue that, that I, I was learning a lot about in terms of what was going on in Flint, Michigan, places in the United States. 
and how I was shaming, you know, I was wagging my finger, right? Being like, hey, you know, how is this happening in the United States? But this is happening here in Canada. So can you tell us a little bit about like, you know, why, why we're allowing this to happen? So it's tough because when there's different levels of government and constitutional responsibilities, they don't have, they say that that's not their problem. So in Canada, we have section 91 and 92 of the Constitution Act. So the province has specific responsibilities and so does the federal government. So um, the provinces are in charge of municipalities. So they created uh, municipal governments. Municipal governments powers can be taken away at any time or like given more powers. So they have a lot of things that they need to provide for that um, these all these responsibilities. So municipal governments can only make money through property taxes and user fees. So it's sometimes hard to come up with all the money that you need. And fortunately, water is con this is considered something that a local government would need to provide because it's in basic infrastructure. Okay, so and, and this is where I apologize in my own understanding because it, it takes me a while. Um, is what you're saying that infrastructure, that's, that's, that's a municipal problem. It is a municipal problem. So right. the reason we've had uh, such bad water for so long is there was no money. The economy busted in Northern BC. Um, things like pulp mills were shutting down. Um, 2008 financial crisis. There's lots of different things that go on in the world that um, affect our little section. And so when there's less people paying taxes and less um, companies paying taxes, you have less money coming in to be able to afford these new things. So luckily our mayor in Prince Rupert has been um, trying to get lots of different grants. So we can get grants and we did get some from some of the different higher levels of government, but it's tough when you can't afford it. Prince Rupert actually has over $300,000 in basic infrastructure that they cannot afford to do, which is roads, water, different things. So currently right now, we're in the last few stages of our water infrastructure, but it was like a lot of millions of dollars to get this done. And, and this is over like a, a sustained period of time. Yeah, so we've been having issues with the water for a long time. We're actually using a secondary source right now. It's a lake um, that's really far, like far away. And because we've had so much rain this year, that's why we've had water boil advisories and our water is very yellow because it's a secondary source. <laughs> right. So now I was watching a documentary uh, a few weeks back and it was talking about how in Nova Scotia there's there was um, like settlements that right that were right by like a like a, a dump right and that there were extremely high numbers of people that were getting cancer have you heard about this I haven't actually okay no. so my, my apologies for not being able to cite it properly but it's this idea of you know, sort of the powers that may be, they're just kind of like, they don't care. Like this is what they're doing, but people are suffering as a response. So I'm wondering in these Northern communities, are they seeing high numbers of people with cancer? 
I don't know about cancer rates. I'd like to see that for some of the certain communities that have like big industry in towns. Mm. Um, I The one thing I do know is that Prince Rupert has high lead water levels and it's not from the city's taps. It's from the lines from individual homes. They tested um, a bunch of homes in the last few years and over 80% of the homes they tested um, were exceeded federal levels for safe drinking water for lead. So I don't know if I'm drinking safe water at home. I, I don't know. Holy smokes. What, like, what is the, let's actually talk a little bit about your, your background, right? Because right now you're going to school and you, you're doing your master's, correct? I'm in my last uh, semester of my bachelor's degree. Okay. Yeah. I mean, dude, you're going places. There's no <laughs> doubt in my mind, right? Like this is what you're deciding to do. Mm-hmm. You know, what I decided to do when I was doing my bachelor's was like, I'm just going to toil around learning about history, you know, whereas you're doing something very meaningful. Do you mind sharing us a little bit about that? Yeah. So I am doing a double uh, major. I'm double majoring in global and international studies and political science and I also picked up a certificate in public administration at uh, the University of Northern BC. Um, my passion is um, indigenous rights, um, the natural resource sector and uh, Northern BC issues. So I do a lot of research on that stuff and I've found a way to do a, my master's on all three of those subjects all together. Wow. <laughs> and I'm just passionate about the North and making it be better so we don't have to worry about basic infrastructure not having safe drinking water yeah i mean again going back to the differences between when i was it it's almost like you do what you see you know and you're seeing things up there that are just it's mm-hmm. just not right you know and you want to you want to correct that do you see possible solutions I, I think it's going to take some work. I I feel like the different levels of government need to work with each other a, a bit more because you can't let communities suffer, like not having these basic needs. These are basic human rights, having safe water, just having like safe shelter. We have such demands for, there's lots of problems in the North too with things like homes and not have it like the housing market there's not enough affordable housing and it's typically when um, these big projects come in or um, our economy starts booming then we don't have housing at all and it's can be really expensive and I know people say the lower mainland is expensive but it can be really expensive up north as well depending on what uh, town you live in right well yeah I mean the, the housing is just, it's always been, to me, it's a, it's, it's a really weird market, right? Cause, mm-hmm. cause mortgage, did you know that mortgage is Latin for death grip? <laughs> right? Like, <That> makes sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's just another, it's another way of, um, you know, keeping us kind of stuck, I think. Mm-hmm. Right. So in the North, there's, again, there's the water, the infrastructure. There's also, you mentioned taxes. Yeah, so um, when a person pays taxes, they mainly pay to the federal government and then the provincial government. 
and they and they cover less tangible services like things that you don't physically use every day or get to see like so the military money um bank like different things that you don't use on a daily basis um is what your money mainly goes to and so local governments um as i previously said they only make their money through user fees and property taxes and so a lot of property tax money isn't just from housing it's from commercial use as well so um it's tough providing all the the services that people need um yeah so when there's these when they're like Prince Rupert is stuck $300 million in a deficit when they can't afford this infrastructure. What what are you going to do in a struggling economy? Like it's starting to boom now, you're seeing things going, but the city is still dead with so much to do. Like, are you going to keep increasing people's property taxes when it's already so expensive? There's only, there's so many few options of what you can do. Are you going to do grants and maybe get accepted, maybe not, or? Should the higher up levels be providing alternative ways for communities to make money? And, and I think that's something that you touched on too. And uh, that's this idea of the property taxes. But, but that's almost a game that people are having a hard time playing there because like you say, you can only make housing, like there's a point when it's just not affordable anymore. Yeah. Right? And so that system isn't working because people can't even get into it to pay the property taxes, right? Yeah, there's some parts of town, uh, even in Prince Rupert, I don't know what other cities are like, where it's very expensive for that, like the houses that they're in. There's one section of town, we call it like the fancy street, um, where property taxes can be over $10,000. So people don't, that might have them, might be able to afford to live on that street, don't want to because they, they, they just can't, afford or don't want to have to afford um, property taxes that high when you're not seeing it's one thing if you're paying taxes and seeing what you're getting but when you when you aren't seeing your you, all of the roads are full of potholes everywhere the roads are so bad the water is bad <laughs> when you're not seeing these services coming in it really um, is harming to like the community so uh... To think of it this way for, for listeners is, you know, this is where you live, right? Mm-hmm. You live in, you know, say it's Prince Rupert, say it's uh, Terrace, you know, um, but you pay $100 for a thing. And the, the hope is, is that you're putting money back into your community, right? Mm-hmm. But, the, but the $5 or whatever that could go to, you know, your localized community to fix the potholes that's going to Toronto or something like that. Is that kind of what you're saying? Like the money, it's just, it's not going to where it needs to go. Yeah, and another thing when you look at the way like some of the taxes are on the big projects, there's a lot of risks doing the type of projects that the North does, whether it's oil, natural gas, there's a lot more risks that we have to take environmentally, socially, Uh, There's so many different factors to think about, and there isn't necessarily as many means to redistribute to those communities that are taking those risks. There's some small things, certain um, like programs, but it's not enough, not enough for these risks that are happening. They're being 
dispersed to the bigger centers. And I understand that we all need to share, but it can sometimes be disheartening when we don't have basic services, but another bridge is being built in the lower mainland or something that's maybe more for convenience than needs, like more, um, it's about like needs and wants necessarily sometimes. Yeah, there's, and please, anytime I say something that's like, you know, an incredibly white privileged statement or something like that, please do correct me. Um, but it, it almost seems like we, we kind of forget when we're living our day-to-day -day lives, we forget about the world outside of ourselves, mm -hmm. you know, and I'm guilty of it. But there's a part of me that with the, the amount of information available, it's getting to a point where we can't not see Mm -hmm. the problems around us and 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 this idea that I really think that if we solve the problems around us that we can kind of solve our problems too maybe I don't know there's there's that I know this sounds kind of new agey or whatever but I feel like there's that interconnected piece but please tell me what you know I'm curious what your thoughts are Sorry, I'm sometimes oblivious to Vancouver and other lower mainland issues. I've never lived there um, yes. <laughs> just from secondhand experience visiting and stuff like that. But I've been finding that over the last year with COVID-19, I've really seen a difference and um, how the North struggles a lot more than you might have noticed before because everything is so interconnected and moving and now it's more like separate. Um, something I've been noticing, sorry if we're getting sidetracked, it's, um, it's more about like healthcare and um, like services that are being provided. So before COVID, we found it's hard to get a lot of healthcare professionals up here. So there's lots of doctor shortages and other um, health professionals. There's programs like debt forgiveness. So if they do their degrees and programs in BC, and they go move to Northern BC and they live there for X amount of years, then they can like get rid of all of their debt, which is, it's a great program, gets people to move there, but we're not getting enough of that. There's a lot of times we didn't have walk-in clinics in some of the places, places like Prince George um, ha has lots of walk-in clinics you can go into, but some of the small places, the hospital was your walk-in but now you can't necessarily do that as much. Um, places like the regional COVID hospitals, um, Terrace is a COVID regional hospital and they, they, they were at, they're at capacity all the time. The hospital hasn't been updated since the eighties. It was um, when the BC liberals were in power in um, this was before the, um, this was before the BC NDPs got into power. They put into their budget in 2017 that they were going to totally redo the Mills Memorial Hospital and make it bigger because we have a bigger population now with development. And when the NDP came in in 2017, they took it out of their budget and they never mm -hmm. put it back in. So when election time came around last year, they put it back in their promise that they would build it. So we keep getting these empty promises. We're, we're a regional COVID hospital without the capacities. Um, 
I think it's quite sad. And and I think that that's based on my limited understanding. That's a common narrative that we make these empty promises because they do need you. You know what I mean? They need your votes so that they can stay in power, but then they, you know, they, know. they pull those promises. It wasn't, um, it was going to be in the works if that, like the, cause the liberals put it in the budget. So it was going to be going on, but then the election happened and then it got taken out. So it's, it's unfortunate that that happened because the hospital's so downgraded, like it's so run down and it can be depressing. Yes. The, the healthcare professionals do their best that they can. They do a great job. Um, I praise them. Like they do such a good job, yeah. but they're working with what they have, what they can. And, and there are people in the world who are like, well, you know, that's, they, they live there, but it's like, that's their home. Mm-hmm. this is your home right and and what you're describing is so much of it is is quite you know the the resources are are, are kind of unlivable but, but this is still you know your sense of space yeah. right and, and the community can, works so good together we have programs like the dr remley foundation where they fundraise for equipment that the hospital needs. So I am trying to think of what the, one of the recent ones was, is they wanted to get a new X-ray, mach- X-ray machine or ultrasound machine. I'm, I apologize, my facts aren't totally straight. One of those fancy machines that cost over $200,000. So they'll spend a year and they'll have a goal. And then I know in December they reached that goal. So they'll buy a big piece of, machinery that otherwise wouldn't be able to have because when we don't have this technology um, people have to be sent to Vancouver or Prince George and it's typically at your own expense and it can be difficult if you can't afford it. I recently had to take my mom for some chemo appointments um, to uh, the next town over and it's a weird story because for some reason, our the local hospital in Terrace couldn't do it, so we did it. We drove to Kitimat a few times in the middle of a snowstorm one time, and we were sitting there waiting for the the chemo. And they said, "Oh, sorry, it's we're waiting for the truck from Terrace to come." And I said, "What?" And they said, "Oh, we don't have the equipment to make it here. It gets made in Terrace and shipped to us." <laughs> and that's where you kind of just came yeah. from. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. So I'm going to draw a comparison, but what you're describing is the importance, like, like there's this heavy community aspect where you live. And I sometimes feel, this is just based on my own experiences, that that's a little bit lacking where I live. Like it's just so, we're, we're stuck in this kind of sea of, you know, distractibility, if you will. Whereas kind of what I'm hearing from what you're describing and and not to romanticize it or anything, because it's not, this is, this is, you know, life or death that we're talking about here, but there's this community aspect of this, you know, we're working together here. Whereas I feel like, you know, these are my musings, but I feel like that's missing here. I don't know. 
I can't speak for like because I've never lived in Vancouver, so yeah. I'm not sure necessarily the feel of that. But it's been a little bit different during COVID because, well, you can't necessarily do the same things as you could before. But I still check on my elderly neighbor, and if they're having a harder time, bring them food or treats. Um, we go. I went for a walk yesterday um, in Prince Rupert, and I stopped because I kept seeing a bunch of people taking pictures. So you chat with them and I, we found out that there's porpoises in the, in the ocean right next to us. So you just can stop and talk to a stranger and just, if, you can talk to them like you know them. I don't yeah. know. Just like, I mean, I think that that's so, that's so awesome. That's so wonderful. But again, here I am, I'm kind of idealizing things, right? Like, like like you just said you've never lived where i live i've never lived where you live so you know i'm i'm trying to incorporate what i think it's like but i i don't know what it's like and and that's why we're having this conversation which is important it is funny to think cuz when i first moved for university it was the first time i drove like a long distance it was from terrace to prince george and Prince George was a big city to me. That's where we always used to go shopping in their mall. And that's my big city. And I still think of it like that, even though I've lived there for so long. I that's I wouldn't want to live anywhere larger than that. <laughs> yes. Whereas uh, for me, it's like, oh, yeah, you know, Prince George. Like, that's <laughs> that's up there you, 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 in that sense of spacism or, you know, what, whatever you want to call it, right? There's... It's, it's me doing the Edward Said uh, otherism, right? Which he talked about, you know, we do that a lot in society. We, we, we make these different groups when really we're just, we're just trying to make sense of our lives here, right? Yeah, it is something up there because the geographic center of BC is Vanderhoof, which is 45 minutes away from Prince George, so. Right. <laughs> Well, Yellowknife, correct me if I'm wrong, is it Yellowknife is like the center of Canada. Is it? I didn't know that. Like, if you think about the geographic, well, I mean, and, and you know, this is based on what I think I know, but it's like the center of Canada. But so much of our, how we kind of, how I, how I see things, excuse me, I'll speak for myself, is within 50 kilometers of the U.S. border. Right. It's just it's interesting how I see space, but we see it differently. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing that that I think is important is talking about um, the issues of the, the opioid crisis. You talked about that. You sent me an article on that. Yeah. So we have the highest overdose rates um, in all of B.C., just overall northern B.C., um, not like specific towns and it's been it was hard before but especially when fentanyl and other uh, drugs like that started getting involved that's when our numbers peaked we actually found that over 50 percent uh, there was an increase of over 50 percent of um, overdoses were happening in 2020 like it increased that much and I don't want to say that's covid 19 and being more disconnected with community. I, I'm not sure if that's the correlation, but over 50% of an increase, that's awful. That's, yeah. 
That is insane. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm curious to know how, what, what your sort of uh, understanding is of COVID, but for me, I, it's it's very much been it's been mentally exhausting mm -hmm. right we went through different phases of how we felt about it i feel in the, in the north because it didn't really start hitting us like really really bad until the second wave started happening so this summer i pretty much lived my normal life like i was just i was on in three courses this summer i didn't work this the first time I've ever done that. Um, <laughs> so I was just living at home doing that. You could still see people distanced, but you would still see them and you would travel between towns for shopping or doing stuff and you wouldn't worry. We even had over 30 days of zero COVID cases in all of Northern BC. But now once outbreaks started happening at some of the industrial like work sites and then there started being more like seniors complexes um mm. primarily in prince george getting them st started to be worrying and now i i'm at a point where i feel like vancouver and that area is more relaxed and we're tightening up because there's a different mindset people not that they don't believe in it they just don't think it's going to happen in their small communities and they they trust one another and they sometimes don't know how to say no to those hugs or like they just if they feel bad like doing that type of stuff it's actually sad because Prince Rupert um, is actually in the middle of um, a seniors outbreak right now at um, it's called the Acropolis Manor and five seniors have died and this has only been uh, less than a week this has started so it's the first one in Northwest BC. Before that, you'd see it mainly in Prince George, but now it's starting to affect all aspects of Northern BC. And, and that's that, you know, this is the community piece, right? Yeah. It's, Our, it can be tough and it's hard. I, I wouldn't say it's like spreading like community exposures. It's more or less like spreading in workplaces. And so then like their bubble has to isolate and go home, but it can be tough. Yeah. Well, it's so like, because we're living in the, you know, we're in the middle of this thing mm -hmm. as time goes by and, and we look back at it after, you know, we'll extrapolate different things from this. But to me, what's so hard is just this, we, we pride our, our, ourselves as, as a, you know, as a civilization, you know, talking about the West here, you know what I mean? We, pr <laughs> we pride ourselves in, in, in air quotes on knowing everything, mm -hmm. but this has happened and it's really shaking us at a, at a fundamental uh, level, I feel. I, I wonder, like, Again, going back to how, how when, when I say something like that, people, the world around hearing this are like, oh, isn't that, isn't that funny that this, you know, these colonial narratives are being shook, right? Mm -hmm. to, what, to what degree does systemic racism kind of tie into these problems of what we're seeing? Into COVID or just like general problems right now? COVID and general problems, because... Actually, let's talk about COVID because there is, it's asymmetrical who's being affected by this. 
Well, it's it's difficult to say. Um, right now, our area, we actually have one of the highest per capita of COVID right now. So our area is struggling. Our hospitals are struggling. I worry. I, I don't think it'll get to this, but I do worry that if the second wave doesn't stop and our hospitals are getting overwhelmed, if they're going to have to make the decisions that they say they would, like where they healthier people they'll accept whereas the other people they won't that it's just that's a scary thought because we think that this won't happen but how do we know this won't happen we can't see the future we can't see what's going on we've already um the the covid regional hospital in northwest bc they've already a few weeks ago was it a few weeks ago a month ago they've already had to start transferring some covid patients to other hospitals like it um, Vancouver Island. They've transferred um, some COVID patients from Terrace to Prince Rupert. And Prince Rupert doesn't have, their hospital right. doesn't have the capabilities necessarily for that, but they're, they're all doing the fight and they're trying to help every single person. But what if they get to that point where they can't right now in the seniors um, outbreak, over 14 staff uh, like nurses and carries have COVID, how how are we going to make up for those workers that are sick? It's 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 a tough questions, and we're finding that it's hard when there's outbreaks in the the villages in the indigenous villages. We've had some of those, and it's it's very sad that that happens. It's hard when there's more people living together and there's less resources to be able to fight the um, like COVID. So. It can affect di different people more. Right. Yeah, and and that's that's such a again. There's that community piece, right? Like, I'd say this is a a, a hasty generalization. This is an overgeneralization, but you know, in these the city living in Vancouver, it can seem a little bit colder, in the sense of you know, like. I'll use my own experience. So, you know, I'm here, I'm staying at my mom's house and it's, there's that very much keeping up with the Joneses kind of thing, right? Like, Oh, nice Hummer. It's like, honey, we got to go get a Hummer, you know, like this, this competitive aspect. Whereas in other places, you know, we're social beings. We need that togetherness. Right. Mm -hmm. And these places that are being affected by that, it's like, that's where that mental health piece is tied into it, right? Because we're not meant to just sit at home and isolate, but that's what we're being asked to do. So it's, you know, it's part and parcel for the problem. You know, the solution is also part of the problem. It is. Right. It can be hard because while we can be on as many Zoom meetings as we want or seeing people talking on our phones, on social media, it's not the same as, seeing people or being around them. I find we do a lot of window visits where <laughs> you open up your front window, the big slider, and you talk on one side. So you get to stay warm and they can sit in their truck and they can talk to you. That's more of a connection I find than just talking on the phone. Then at least yes. you can see them and communicate in I, person. I, I, I agree, you know, uh, the phone, I, I'm the world's worst texter. <laughs> right but that's that's why i love these and i guess i wonder like coming out of this are we going to be better from it or are we going to be 
worse from it? Or are we just forever changed? I feel like we're going to be forever changed, but we're going to overcome things. I feel like our economy, I don't know how that's going to be, especially in small businesses. It's unfortunately, it's the large businesses like Amazon, Walmart, that are profiting. They're profiting off of COVID and small businesses are having to shut their doors. And unless we can support them, um, it'll be hard. I don't know what it's like in Vancouver, but I've heard of stories about lots of restaurants and those type of businesses shutting down. Um, thankfully in our community, we like, we support, we don't have as many box like stores, so we support them, but they're struggling hard. So mm. I, I like to go out, like I like to get takeout and support them a lot. And I know I should be saving more, but I, I they need our support right now. Yes. Yeah. Again, there's that, there's that kind of community piece because you're right. The, these box stores, they can be a little bit soulless, Mm -hmm. you know, but then that's where all this money is, is, you know, going to, right. So. And I know I shop online, but that's because um, a lot of like when, when our community busted after the pulp mill shut down, a lot of stores like couldn't make it. There's not a lot of space for like local stores to be. So you do have to buy some things online that you want, or you have to go to Walmart, heaven forbid. Right. But, um, you try and do everything as much locally or at least locally through Etsy, like through local artists and stuff, but it can be very difficult when things are so far away. Right. Well, yeah, that's a good point because I imagine there's a stereotype that with these boom and bust kind of, markets that people are very transient in the north yeah it's unfortunate like um people want to stay in the north but when these global like busts happen it you have to feed your family um examples can be like of i can think of off the top of my head is my boyfriend his dad was the breadwinner like he his, his mom worked but his dad had the higher income he was a millwright so when the mill shut down there there was no other mill in town and when you we have specified trades and like qualifications you have to go to do camp work or you have to move to other cities so instead of moving your family he had to go live the camp life and he had to sacrifice to be away from his family to provide Whereas other people just up and took their family and moved away. So it can be, it can be hard and it's hard to plan for the future for communities, especially when it busts communities suffer. So, so bad. What you, you even mentioned the idea of your boyfriend's dad having to move away. Yeah. Like camp work. So some do two weeks on one week off, or if you have to work further away, you might be like away for a month. And it's very common in the North to have families that do that. My dad used to do that. A lot of people still do it. We have people who, let's say, live in Terrace and work in Kitimat and they commute every single day. Um, There's lots of different things like that that people do for work. And and, and to me, you know, I, I guess just commenting on my own privilege, but sacrificing time away from your family you know, being away from your family, that to me is like the ultimate sacrifice, right? 
you know, I mean, even in doing this, it's like, oh, you know, I want to, I want to hang out with my daughter and my, but, yeah. but, but I, I feel like that having these conversations is helpful for me. Right. So once again, I, I, I thank you for that. Now yeah. you also, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, no, you go. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. Well, there's another thing you talked about how the Greyhound buses, that article you'd sent in the, the highway of tears and how the yeah. Greyhound buses aren't running anymore. I was just curious before I sent the article, did you, did you know about the highway of tears or what it was? Yes. It, what, what, just, just for my own, you know, for the listeners, why don't, why don't you, if you don't mind. Okay. No, I was just curious to know because so I've always grown up knowing hitchhiking is like, it's bad. Like it's dangerous. I grew up on a, like a road, like a highway where there's a no hitchhiking sign. So I've always known about the highway of tears, but I just didn't know if other places knew about it necessarily as much. So the highway of tears is because of, um, primarily missing and murdered indigenous women, but it's for anyone that travels along the highways. And this was an issue, um, because of like finances and like not having the same abilities. So people, if you don't have a car or if there isn't buses running or anything, any type of transportation, they would hitchhike. So that was a big problem. And to this day, you think that, oh, that happened such a long time ago. People are still being missed. People are still going missing and still being murdered to this day. It's so scary because there isn't cell service along the whole way. Mm. I get scared driving, thinking about if I'm going to break down where there's no service, do I stay in my vehicle or do I wait for the next person who might murder me? Um, what, yeah. yeah. What is the, what is the patch of highway that is, is, is typically considered the highway of tears? Typically it's from Prince Rupert to Prince George is the main section of it just because of um, how bad, how, how little transportation options there are. So when the Greyhound was around, um, the Greyhound buses, they would, I don't know how often they would, but they went enough between the North to um, transport people. And I'm pretty sure Greyhound went from like Prince George to Vancouver, like they went farther. Yes. So once Greyhound shut down, the government made BC bus and it wasn't supposed to be a permanent solution. Um, and they only ran on the exact same days that via rail runs, which is, seems kind of silly. You'd think that if it's government, you'd say, Oh, maybe we want to do it on different days and via rail. I've taken it before, but because priority is given to CN rail because they own it, you can be sitting on the track for hours, like, I would only travel between Terrace and Prince Rupert and it could take four hours, five hours, it could take less. And it only takes an hour and a half to drive. So it can take so long. Yeah. That you're just like, what's the point? Mm -hmm. And now with COVID, a lot of, some of our airports have shut down. So um, Smithers and Prince Rupert, their airports aren't functioning right now. So if you don't have a car and you need medical services done in Vancouver and you can't afford to rent a vehicle or rent a cab or you don't even have a license, that's very difficult to get to Terrace, to get on a plane or 
take a train or anything like that. It's, there's not as much services. So, and, and here's, here's what, I apologize for this being a frustrating question. If you were to say, you know, what are the four biggest issues for the North? Could you, could you, like, what's the number that you would need to say these are the biggest issues, this number? I'm not sure. And I, I don't want to speak for all of the North because I'm not as much aware of Northeast BC. I, I've only been there a few times. Um, sorry. <laughs> no problem. I would say water is a more localized issue in Prince Rupert. Other cities don't have that problem. I'd say more or less lacking resources, like monetary resources, because of how the system is set up for income, like for communities to make money. That's a huge issue with downloading of responsibilities from upper levels of government. Um, I'd say Things like proper transportation and cell service is a big issue. Um, I don't know if you saw the article and in the news a few years ago about that those two teens that murdered a UBC professor and the the couple from one was from Australia and one was Canadian or US I think this was in BC. Uh, like BC Yukon, like on that. Yeah, was this Port Alberni or something? Yeah, those were the yeah. teams. And so I drive that part of the highway as well because there's a place called Kitwanga and it's a, a junction. And when you go from there to Stewart, there's no cell service whatsoever. I think it's three, three or four hour drive. So when I do that drive, if you break down, if something happens, you could hit wildlife. Like it's there's so many bears on that stretch. Like if you hit one and do something, you have to rely on strangers. And that's scary sometimes, especially after what happened up north. Like you, you want to be able to trust people, but can you trust people? So self-service is a big thing. And, and people knowing, you know, like mm -hmm. that there's vulnerable people out there. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. And it's not even just that. It's also we get a lot of snow. So if you have an accident in the winter, like you're going to have to wait for help. Right. Yeah, I mean like the 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 potential for there being a situation where you're gonna need help is so much higher. Yeah. Right. And 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 healthcare, I think, would be the yes. other one, like lacking those resources and having those broken promises. Um and now, now, you said that one of your major focuses on, on, are on Indigenous um, government, is, is that correct? Uh, indigenous issues. So yes. I'm, I'm Métis myself, and I'm actually the regional youth representative for the Northwest region. So I'm very passionate about um, different Indigenous issues. I'm hoping to do my master's thesis on the uh, Inuit seal hunt and the like the politicization of that so that's looking at natural resources indigenous issues and it's I, you could say that's northern because that's northern canada but right and how uh what's her name pamela anderson you know <laughs> like there's something there like here we are you know we're so high and mighty what are you doing 
it's like you don't even know that you, you don't even know the story you know I know wow. and it's sometimes hard educating people on like if they have set ideas or just getting getting to that point to talk to them it can be hard us versus them we see that a lot with northern bc versus like uh the other parts of bc it's us versus them when it should be all of us united but yes yeah. and and this is a this is a question that i apologize for asking but what do you think it is that that we need to start seeing it as it's us it's tough. I think with, it's more prominent because of media. And I don't want to say media can twist things, but it definitely can, <laughs> it can definitely put their agenda across. It, it, it's, it's tough to say because there are, there's so much good things that are happening in all parts of the province and helping each other. But if you're only seeing one, one article or one picture, like it's, it's hard to it's hard to show that I don't know <laughs> well yeah I mean I don't watch a whole lot of news but when I do watch it it's like it's just these one minute snippets of like and you know that there's you know I mean I think we've been talking for an hour right you know that there's more time there but it's like you know we really you know, and and now the focus of today's news like they always have that one they have that central theme like you know now the big issue and it's always something that is there's a degree of sen sensationalization mm -hmm. if that is a word i don't know but anyways and only telling a partial part of the picture sometimes so that narrative it's telling that narrative right it it it, it kind of goes into um you think about history and how we can look at, for example, say the French Revolution, we can look at it in the 40s and see it as a class struggle, right? Which there was that degree of it, of course. But then we can look at it now and see it as there's a mental health aspect. Like these were individuals who wanted to fight for a better possible future, you know? Mm -hmm. Again, I, I'm using a very colonial context here, and I apologize, but there's this idea that things do change the way that we think. Yeah. But how do we get there? You know, I think during co like, especially during COVID times, cause who knows how long this is going to last. Social media could help with that as well. Like being a uniting factor instead of dividing, it might've been because social media, I don't want to say it's new, it's been around for the last decade, but it was so different than there's a, there's a term called web 2.0. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's about like how social media can really enhance platforms and certain ideas. So like it's used in a different way than how the web was originally used more professionally. Whereas now you can promote certain things and show different platforms, like how like black lives matter is a good one to like show like how it promoted the platform and it really got it out there and showing different things like that and how social media can help these cases. Yes. Yeah. It can, it can kind of be that, like, you know, that spark. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, there's always people that want to watch cat videos, <laughs> right? Like, yeah, that's, that's why the internet is such a, it's like the wild west. <laughs> you know? 
again, you sorry using a, a very colonial kind of yeah, but you know where are we going? And there's the there's the optimist in me that that wants to say we're going where we're going is good, but really change is just change, hmm. right? Well, education will help with that. So hopefully people can listen in on this and say, hey, we need to do more and then education and then starting to combat these things, so. Well, I, 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 I love it very much. I mean, we've been talking for an hour and, you know, I, we, we gotta do this again. Mm -hmm. I'm so hopeful because if you look at things like universities, UNBC was created in the 90s. And before that, the closest place for education was Vancouver. So a lot of the North was not educated. I'm the first person in my family to get a, uh, a bachelor's degree. So it's a, it's a huge deal. And so if you think this university was started because of the petitions of X amount of signatures to get the governments and people to look at us and take us seriously, it's all these small steps these signatures, these things that people do that really start something, so. Yes, we, we, we are always building, mm -hmm. you know, and oh, wow, that's, that's a great point. Thank you for sharing that. That's, that's a really good thought, you know, really progress. Mm -hmm. Might be slow, but it's noticeable once yeah. it's done. Well, thank, thank you so much. Now, last last question for you. The paper that you just wrote that you got an A-plus on, <laughs> what was that about? Um, it was a critical uh, review on the Inuit seal hunt. <laughs> it's with actually the, the teacher that um, does that class. She's going to be my potential supervisor for my master's. So <laughs> it was just warming up for my master's. And do, do you mind telling us, what your thesis is for your masters yeah it's going to be out the about the inuit seal hunt and right. the the, the politicization of it gotcha um yeah it's most people only look at it from one perspective and it's cultural it's it's like it's subsist subsistence for them like it's they need this they need it for food and eating and every like there's lots of different aspects of it. So I'm I, excited. It, th th there's an element of, you know, there's something that's, that's like the weeds that are wrapped around a tree. You know, there's, there's something that's always going on the, the, the back and the forth and, and with the seal hunt. Yeah. I, I remember it as a, as a very nobilizing thing, right? A very, uh, who is the writer? Riyard Kipling, The White Man's Burden. I'm not sure. I, I haven't heard of that. But it, but it was his BS. You mm -hmm. know, like, like we thought that we would, you know, they would go there and they would bring them up. But that was just so wrong, you know. I, I, I can't even find the words for it. But anyways, that's why I appreciate this conversation with you. So thank you so much. If you ever want to watch The Angry Anook, it's a documentary. It's even on YouTube. It talks a lot about what what the hunt is and what it means to the people and what certain organizations are doing that's hurting them. So, Angry Anook. Yeah. Okay, I, I will check that out. Is that, when did that one come out? 2017, 2016 or 2017. 
Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna check that out. Well, Brianna, thank you so much. We gotta have you back on the show. <laughs> thank you for having me. Thank you. Yeah. Um, that was awesome. Once again, that was Brianna Greer. I thank her so much for tolerating my uh, lack of information on these problems. And just a firm reminder that I really do need to open my eyes and open my ears more to what's going on, not only in the world, but in my own backyard. One thing that really stood out is the, the problem of taxes and the lack of funding in these communities and how they're they're having to kind of band together to create some real solutions for the problems that they're facing. And it's something that is lacking here and I think is is a product up there out of necessity. So there are there are pros and there's cons to everything. And I just think that when we open our hearts to what's going on, and uh, start helping to raise awareness to these issues, we can, we can see that a real significant impact can be made. So thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day. Thank you again for listening. I'm Robert Grant and I'm probably wrong about everything.